We're going to look together in Luke chapter number 1, and actually very fitting with what, we're just, what I was encouraging you about. Luke chapter 1 holds for us the story of, or I should say, the historical account of what took place just before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. Now, typically, whenever I read a passage of Scripture publicly, I invite people to stand to show their public respect for the Scriptures. However, tonight, I'm not going to do that for two reasons. And I'll tell you what that is. One is because of the length of the passage that I'm going to, I'm going to read. In verse number five, I'm going to start in verse number five in just a moment. And I'm going to read, I'm going to tell you this on purpose. I'm going to read all the way to verse number 37. Now I tell you that ahead of time because I want you to know that we're not going to stand. And then secondly, I'm telling you that because... <clears throat> When I'm the one seated in the auditorium and somebody else is preaching and the person preaching reads more than two verses, then the tendency is for me, for my brain to begin to wander other places. So I'm letting you know that I'm reading all the way through verse number 37 ahead of time because I want you to purpose in your heart and in your brain to stay engaged in the story as it's being read. Now, this is a historical account, which means if you can put yourself in the story, it will help you. I will do my best to read with word color and to uh, help engage you in the story. But at this point, nothing will take the place of your just determining, I'm going to make myself listen and I'm going to make myself stay engaged in the story. This is a story about, well, I don't need to tell you, we're going to read it. So look down at verse number five. Keep your seats, but stay engaged. Verse number five, Luke 1. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. He was of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. So we have Zacharias and Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They were blameless. Okay, let me ask you, were these good people or bad people? They were good. They were blameless. They, they did what was right. Verse 7, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well-stricken in years. Give me a three-letter word that means well-stricken in years. <laughs> you said it. I didn't. And it came to pass that while Zacharias executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot or his job was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without, outside, at the time of incense. And there appeared unto Zacharias an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Well, I guess so. It would me too. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife um, uh, well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, 
I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. That is, he attempted sign language. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, um, he was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So now we've added Joseph and Mary to this storyline. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Now look at verse number 37, would you please? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Hey, would you mind reading verse 37 with me? Let me give the reference, then you just jump in in cadence with me. Luke 1, 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Let's read it again. Let's emphasize the name God. Ready? Luke 1, 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. One more time. Emphasize the word nothing. Ready? Luke 1, 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you right now. The God of the impossible. And we ask you, please, Father, tonight to help us to see again from this passage what it is that you intend for us to see. Help us to be fully convinced of the truth to the degree that our lives would line up in our actions with what your word teaches. Now, we need you tonight, and we know it. I need you. I confess that. Please help in this service in a special way. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You realize, don't you, that all of us have limitations? That is, all of us have uh, things that go beyond our abilities to do or not to do. Um, physically, this is true. How many of you, I'm, I'm looking out and I see some uh, people who I refer to respectfully as gray hair, no hair people. 
Um, some of you, um, how many of you who are gray hair, no hair people have realized that your limitations are greater than what they once were or at least what you thought they once were? Has this become a reality? I am now, prepared to be shocked, I am now over the age of 40. That was not the reaction that I was expecting at all. I was expecting like a, <gasps> actually I tell people all the time, I'm 75, I just drink a lot of water. So um, that'll take care of things. Now, um, I have come to the realization that limitations are a real thing. And when you're young, you know, when you're 20, 25, 30, you feel like anything you want to do, you can do. And as we get a little bit older, our brains still basically tell us the same thing. The problem is the recovery from that. Now, as a little bit older and older now, my brain will tell me things that I actually can't do. My dad puts it this way. He says, my brain makes appointments that my body cannot keep. Or he will say sometimes, if speaking of his body, if it don't hurt, it don't work. If it hurts, it works. It's kind of like a uh, catch-22. All right. All of us have limitations physically. Um, because of traveling, we get to, our family gets to see a lot of neat things throughout the United States. And one of our favorite places to go is out to the Grand Canyon out, out west. We've been there on several occasions. Just out of curiosity, have any of you gotten to travel and see the canyon before? Okay. So a number of you have. If you've seen the canyon before, that you know how... Uh, significant it is. Some people say, well, is it more than just a hole in the ground? And to that I say, go wash your mouth out with soap. Because when you go to the canyon, I mean, it really is, I mean, it is a hole in the ground, but you walk up to the edge of the canyon and the expanse of it is incredible. You, you can see down to the bottom. In some places, you can see the Colorado River snaking its way through the canyon. And from the south rim of the Grand Canyon, you are looking down vertically 5,000 feet, almost a mile. You're looking down to the bottom of the canyon. On a clear day, you can see from the south rim to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And when you can see that expanse, you're looking across 12 to 13 miles across. Now, this may surprise you, but in my current physical condition, it would not be possible for me to jump from the south rim to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. Even if I were to get into the best shape of my life and uh, have the best jumping coaches and buy the best jumping clothes, whatever those are, if I go to the edge of the Grand Canyon, back up 200 yards, and then take off and reach speeds never before reached by human beings, plant my foot perfectly on the edge of the canyon, and leap with all of my might, you know how far I would make it? 5,000 feet. Boing, 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 and splat. Why? Well, because it's not physically possible to jump. We, as human beings, are, are limited. Uh, not just physically, but to think emotionally. Any of you, did your mom ever say anything along the lines of, I have had it up to here with you? Has this ever happened? My mom never said it to me, but to my siblings. She said it a number of times. She would say to us, boys, I have a younger brother, his name is Paul. She would say, Timothy, Paul Andrew, I have had it up to here with you. Now, I don't know exactly what she meant by that, but I'm still alive today, so I'm assuming it never went any higher than that. And I think what she was saying was basically this. I have a limit of what I can take, and I have reached 
the limitations. And that is true for all of us. We are limited as to what we can do. Physically, emotionally, you've all heard or know people who have what we call snapped. That is, they've gotten past the limit of what they can handle and they just couldn't, they just couldn't take it. They couldn't take life anymore. All right. In contrast to that, we have in Luke 137 a tremendous verse that again explores the greatness of our God. When the Bible says, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Now, I will tell you that immediately when I read this verse, my heart is encouraged because I serve a big God. And so do you. You serve a God who is not limited like we are. He doesn't have the limitations that we have. He's a God who created everything, who made things like the canyon, who spoke into existence sun, moon, and stars. He is a big God. And perhaps you're like I am, where you've read Luke 137, or you've heard it preached, and you thought in your heart, thank God I serve the God who is the God of the impossible. All right. But Luke 137 is not a verse all by itself in the Bible, is it? In other words, there's context to it. And Luke 137 comes at the end of two stories that display that God is the God of the impossible. We just, we just read about Zacharias and Elizabeth and about a young lady by the name of Mary and her espoused-to-be husband, Joseph. And in these two stories that we read, we see God demonstrating the fact that he is the God of the impossible. Now, in the story that we read, there are actually three ways that God shows himself to be the God of the impossible. And I want us to see them tonight. Two of them are super obvious. The third one is not so obvious, but it's really important. And it's the reason why the story is given to us in, in the scriptures. So um, I'm going to invite your help. I don't know if it's your habit to speak back in services but I'm going to invite it tonight, so please be prepared. And if you don't answer out loud, then I'll go back to the beginning of the message and start again, and we'll be here till 2 o'clock in the morning. So, uh, so make, sure you make sure you participate, all right? All right, so the first way God shows himself to be the God of the impossible is in the life of uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. So how does God show himself to be the God of the impossible in their lives? Okay, they had a baby. But having a baby is something that happens all the time. I mean, it's a miracle. That, that is true. Having a child is. But something made this humanly impossible. What, what was it? They were well stricken in years. And there was something else specifically with Elizabeth that made her being well stricken in years just a part of why she could not have a baby. And that is that she was? Okay. So she was barren and she was well stricken in years. So that it seemed impossible. We don't know exactly how old Zacharias and Elizabeth were. If tradition holds true in this story, they would have been around the age of 60. And here's Elizabeth, who had in her early life as a young married woman begged God for children. We know that because when the angel comes to Zacharias, he says, your prayer is heard, your wife is going to have a son. So this would have been something that they had prayed about. And you can imagine, the Bible doesn't say this, but you can imagine that Elizabeth would have done everything humanly possible as a young woman to be able to have a child. Gone to the doctors, tried every herb, um, every essential oil that there was in those days. Um, Googled it if there had been such a thing. She would have done everything she could to try to be able to have a child. But she was not able, and I'm again, I'm just guessing, that she got to the place 
where she and Zacharias said, well, it must not be God's will for us to have a child. We'll love other people's kids, but we're not going to be able to. Now it's impossible. And yet, Elizabeth does have a child. Now let me ask you, why? Why is it that Elizabeth has a child? And the answer is because with God, nothing is impossible. He's a big God who can make them barren to conceive. And that's exactly what took place. The first way God shows himself to be the God of the impossible is that the barren conceives. Okay, God shows himself the second time to be the God of the impossible in the life of Mary, or lives of Mary and Joseph. And I'm going to give you a lead-in into how you're supposed to um, help me with my sermon tonight, all right? The first way God shows himself to be the God of the impossible with Zacharias and Elizabeth is that the barren conceives. The second way God shows himself to be the God of the impossible in the life of Mary is that the? There's two words, the virgin conceives. Okay, so the barren conceives and then the virgin conceives. Okay, quick time out. If the barren conceiving is impossible, then the virgin conceiving is really impossible. I mean, even in today's time with all of our advancements in science, it is true that a scientist with a well-stocked laboratory may be able to make all the components of an egg, but life does not go into that egg outside of God giving it first. And here is Mary, a virgin. She's a spouse to Joseph, but they've not yet consummated the marriage She's not played fast and loose. She's been good, a good godly girl. And here she, as a virgin, conceives. Okay, why? Why is it that Mary is able to conceive? And the answer is because with God, nothing is impossible. Friends, don't lose sight of the fact that we serve a big God who can do big things. I'm afraid that far too often in the churches in which I'm privileged to preach, we have come to the place where we have accepted status quo that we are not going to see God do big things and great things and things we call impossible in the year 2020. That the United States is too far gone and people are too far away from the Lord and, uh, and politics are too wicked and everything is so bad we just can't see God do what we used to see. And I'm telling you just as certainly as the barren can conceive and the virgin can conceive, there is a God in heaven who can still do great things. Miracles are not outside of his ability. He's a big God. Now, I told you that there were three ways that God showed himself to be the God of the impossible. First, the barren conceives. Secondly, the virgin conceives. But there's a third way that God shows himself to be the God of the impossible that is the point of this passage. And if we're not careful, we completely miss it. And I want to show it to you. So let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. Actually, we'll start in verse number 12 when Zacharias sees the angel. So Luke 1, 12 says, Zacharias saw the angel he was scared. Verse 13, the angel says, don't be afraid. Your wife's going to have a son. Name him John. Verse 14, thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he, your son, shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Okay, stop, stop. Don't just fly over. Don't just read it and not think. Um, if, Zach, if the angel came to you and told you that you're going to have a son, call him John, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, I mean, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that kind of go, whoa, whoa, okay, this is a little bit different. Verse 16, 
And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Verse 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, now, in order to understand what just was said, you've got to put yourself in Zacharias's sandals and toga or his priestly garment. And you've got to understand that with Zacharias, he was a Jewish man. And in this in this time, before the coming of the Messiah, every Jewish man who loved Jehovah God would beg God, let me live to see the Messiah come. Let me live to see the Anointed One come, the Christ, the Consolation of Israel. Let me be alive when your peace comes to earth. And they, that is those who could read the Scriptures, the priests, would study what they had of the Bible, the Old Testament, looking for promises and prophecies that revolved around the coming of the Messiah. And one of the most recent uh, prophecies to this time, several hundred years before this, was a prophecy that went something like this. Before the Messiah comes, there's going to come someone in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Almost verbatim to what the angel said. So that when Zacharias, who was a priest and would have begged God for the coming of the Messiah, when he hears this, he would have known that it was connected to a prophecy given 400 years earlier and connected to the coming of the Messiah so that his spiritual antenna ought to have gone because this was a fulfillment of a promise, listen please, of the greatest impossibility that could ever and would ever happen in the history of the world that God would take on flesh and come to this earth in order to provide a way for sinful mankind to get to a holy God. The greatest impossibility of all impossibilities, that Christ would come, was what the angel was announcing to Zacharias. This announcement from the angel to Zacharias was all about the coming of the Messiah. Now, I don't know if angels have emotion. I do think that angels are aware of God's plan, of what God is doing on earth, because they're sent as messengers. So I think they would have an alertness and an awareness. Okay, so this moment right here is the point in human history around which everything else revolves. Creation looked to this moment, to all of eternity, looks back on this moment we just are reading about. So that in my brain, again, I don't know this, this is a Tim Thompsonism, but I see the angel excited about giving this announcement. Remember I talked to you about allowing your imagination to be engaged, that is, see things as they happen? Here's the angel delivering the message of all messages. For 4,000 years, this is what everyone's waiting for. 
This is the moment. This is the miracle of all miracles. This is the great impossibility. Here comes the angel and says, Zacharias, you're going to have a son. And your son is going to be named John. He's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Okay, Zacharias, he is going to go before him, before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Zacharias, this is, this is the moment. And Zacharias says, Okay, so how am I going to be able to have a son? Because I'm old and my wife is, um, I mean, no spring chicken anymore. And if you look into the original languages of what took place, the angel grabs Zacharias by the toga and lifts him up. And No, not really, but if I had been the angel, that's exactly what I would have, been, what I would have done. Because this was the greatest moment in all of history. The angel is coming to announce the coming of the Messiah. And Zacharias was filled with concern about how he, as an older person, and his wife were going to be able to have a child. Fast forward six months. Gabriel comes to Mary. Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Verse number 30, uh, 31. You're going to conceive in thy womb, Mary, and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. The name means Savior. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Be it unto thine handmaid, even as thou hast said. Is that what Mary says? Mary says, how is this going to be because I'm not married? I mean, I'm married, but I'm not married. So how, how, is this, how, is this, how is this going to happen? All right, now in all fairness, I don't think Mary's question was an unbelief. I think she was actually asking, how do I need to go forward with this? Do I marry Joseph? What's going to happen? Okay, listen, now please catch this. Again, if your brain is wandering, this is the time to bring it back in. Here's the point. Both Mary and Zacharias, are you listening? Completely missed the significance of the moment because they were consumed with what physically pressed against them at the time. Luke 1 is not about the barren being able to have a baby. Luke 1 is not about a virgin conceiving. Luke 1 is about the coming of the Messiah. But Zacharias and Mary, you listening, missed what God was doing because they were so consumed with what humanly seemed to be impossible to them. Now, before we're too hard on them, I wonder how often you and I are in the same boat. That is, 
that God is working out an eternal purpose. Something of great eternal significance. But we miss what God is doing because we're consumed with what presses against us physically at the moment. Here's what I mean. Let, let me give you two illustrations. One is a true story. One is made up, and then I'll recap and our time is done. Um, let me start with the made-up story first. Let's say that you are driving between here and Jacksonville. Uh, no, let's make it from Jacksonville home. You're coming back towards home, and um, you're driving on back roads as opposed to taking the interstate. You're driving back roads. And while you're driving home, it's 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. You're out in the middle of nowhere, which Florida has some of that. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, while you're driving down the road, 11 o'clock at night, nobody else out on the road, all of a sudden you hear the all-too-familiar sound of ka-thwomp, 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 ka-thomp, 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 ka-thomp. And you think, oh, no, oh, no, a flat tire. Oh, and you grab your phone and you go, oh, no. <laughs> No service. Oh, man. I'm going to have to change the tire. My Oh, no. I took the spare tire and jack out of my car to get more groceries in last week. I don't have a jack or a spare. Oh, no. And with your back really against the wall, then you do what good Christians are supposed to do. Lord. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. No reception, no tire. I've got a flat tire. Please, dear Lord, please help me. And you no more get done praying and a pick-em-up truck pulls up behind you. I have learned already because of our travels that rednecks are not just in Georgia. That they have rednecks everywhere. And this close to the forest, you have your share of them. So they're... All of a sudden, this pickup truck comes up behind you, and a good old boy gets out, and he walks up, and he knocks on your window, and you roll it down just a touch, and he says, hey, you got a flat tire? Yes. Yes, I do. He says, hey, listen, I carry spare tires on rims in my, in my truck. He does. He lives for this moment. This is why he drives. I carry spare tires. Let me see. I think I have one that'll fit your car. And he comes back in a couple minutes. I do. I have the exact same bolt pattern on one, of the, on one of the tires in my truck. Let me go grab it. And I have my jack. I'll, I'll, I'll change it for you. And he comes up, grabs his jack, jacks up your car, takes your tire off, puts it in the trunk, puts the other tire already aired up and ready to go, puts it on, tightens everything down, grabs his jack out, puts it in the back of the truck, waves to you, and takes off. And you have a Baptocostal fit. You come unglued. Lord, you say, you delivered Daniel from the lion's den and the three Hebrew children out of the fiery furnace. You brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and you have brought to me a tire. Dear God, I asked for a tire and you brought me a tire. Thank you, God, for bringing a tire to me. And God in heaven says, no. No, I wasn't bringing you a tire. I was bringing you the soul of a searcher. I brought you someone who is searching after me. But because of being unaware 
of the eternal work of God and praying a good prayer that only the God of the impossible can take care of. I'm not suggesting that every time we have a flat tire or every time we stand in a long line at Walmart or every time we have a chance encounter with an old friend that we haven't seen in years, that it's always a searcher coming. Here, here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that God has bigger interests than your tires. And it very well may be that some of the circumstances of our lives that seem to be uncomfortable where we think and pray, God, please get me out of this. God, this is not comfortable. I don't, God, please, you're the God of the impossible. This is too much. God, please. It may very well be that God is doing something far more eternal. And he has something great that he wants to do. Now let me tell you a true story. Our family has a good friend, actually, who lives in Florida, down near Lakeland. Her name is Karen. And we've known Karen for a long time, as long as we've, in fact, there could be people here that know Karen. She spent some time up this way. Ever since we've known Karen, which has been about 17 years, Karen's um, struggled with cancer. In fact, I've almost never seen Karen when she's not um, pulling a tank of oxygen or else wearing a machine that helps her have oxygen. She has congestive heart failure, bad lungs, and uh, cancer. We, we have, Karen's supposed to have been dead a long time ago. We, as a family, for a number of years, prayed almost daily. Our prayer request was, God, we don't know what you want to do, but we would love it if you would wipe the cancer out of Karen's body. The doctors say, no way, but you're God. You can do it. You're the physician. We would love it if you'd wipe the cancer out of Karen's body. Karen's prayer request was this. God, would you please let me live long enough to see my children trust Christ, and I would like to see my doctor saved. Now, Karen's children are both now young adults, and they've both accepted Christ as Savior. Karen's doctor was a lady doctor, and um, this was a number of years ago. She was a Jehovah's Witness. And if you don't know, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They're not, they're not saved, but they're very staunch in what they think. And uh, she was a Jehovah's Witness and married to a third-generation Jehovah's Witness. So it, it went deep. And Karen's prayer request was, let me live long enough to see her trust Christ. Well, Karen went in to see her doctor. She told us about it, wrote an email. She went in to see her doctor one time, and uh, the doctor said to her, Karen, it doesn't look like you're going to live much longer. I don't, I don't see how you can. And Karen said, I know, but it's all right. And the doctor said, you have something I don't have. What is it? And Karen preached to her Jesus. Her doctor accepted the Lord as her Savior. They gave a Bible to the doctor's husband. For a year, he read the book of John, and he accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Not long after, the doctor and her husband moved to the Northeast. Karen was having a, a hard time um, physically, and the doctor called the doctor, and the doctor said, I've got to come to you. I've got to come. I've got to put my hands on you and see what's going on. 
So she flew down, and Karen was very excited because the doctor was coming in on Resurrection Sunday and was going to come to church with her. She was just very excited about it. Well, the doctor didn't show up in time for the service, so Karen called, couldn't get a hold of her, eventually got a hold of the husband, and come to find out when the doctor landed and got a rental car on the way over, she was in an accident and went into eternity. Okay, but let me ask you a question. Do you think Karen would like to be rid of her cancer? Wouldn't you? You think she'd like to live to enjoy grandchildren? Or have a good day where she and her husband could walk on their farm? Absolutely. Do you think Karen would trade having had cancer for never having had cancer? Not on your life. Why? Okay, here it is. Because Karen has what I call God vision. An awareness that God may be doing something bigger and more eternal than what the circumstances show. And that a lack of comfort or a difficulty may be God working something great. Now, please don't go out of here tonight saying um, or thinking that you should not pray for deliverance from sickness or shouldn't pray for a tire or shouldn't pray for whatever it is that is a struggle in your life right now. That's not the point. We are to bring our request before God and God hears and God can answer. What I'm saying to you is that it may be that when it feels like you're barren and you can't conceive or a virgin and can't conceive, that God may be doing something that is bigger and greater and more eternal. And before we say, God, deliver me from this, we might say, Father, if you're working something eternal right now, help me to see it. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I'm convinced, Central, that if God's people would begin a day in sincerity saying, Dear God, help me to be aware of what you're doing today, that you would have across your paths some opportunities to plant or water or reap in things that are eternal. That we would be ready for a word of encouragement when there's somebody, a brother or sister, who really needs it because we see that God is doing something eternal. And the inconvenience that I face that I just want to get done with may in fact be a part of the eternal purpose that God has. Now, wouldn't you like to live with God vision? I will say that just asking God to allow you to see things doesn't mean he'll show you everything. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. But I'm pretty convinced that God is much more willing to show us what he's doing than what we allow for by our 
get me out of this mindset. He's the God of the impossible. We see it in three ways. The barren conceives, the virgin conceives. But the point of Luke chapter 1, the greatest impossibility was that the Christ was born. The Messiah came. That is the point of Luke chapter 1. Everything else is just a part of that eternal purpose. May God help us to have his vision.